Let me let you in on a preacher's secret. Many of us, and I know it's true because of the newsletters that come across my inbox, new ways to preach Christmas, different ways to preach Christmas. <laughs> the, the preacher's secret is many of us spend a lot of time trying to figure out a new, unique, creative way to tell the Christmas story. Because we figure if you come to church on Christmas Sunday, even if you don't go that regularly, you probably are somewhat familiar with the Christmas story. You know about the angels and the shepherds and the manger and the wise men. Now, you may not know that the wise men weren't actually at the stable. You know, that's got to be said. Uh, that's another of my OCDs. They were with the child a year and a half or two years later, even though in the video we're going to watch at the end they're at the manger, but don't pay attention to that. <laughs> but but you, know, you, you know the the general outline of the Christmas story, and, and we don't want you to be bored when you come to church Christmas Sunday. I mean, how terrible would that be to be bored hearing the Christmas story? So we try to come up with a unique way to present the Christmas story which is kind of foolish since it's almost 2,000 years old and the Christmas story has been told since the shepherds made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child and how many hundreds of thousands of preachers have spent hundreds of thousands of Christmases telling the same story but we still think I can come up with a new way to tell it. Well, one year I was sweating bullets. I was working hard on how to come up with a new way to preach Christmas. When an article crossed my inbox, and it was called The Crime of Christmas, that obviously grabbed my attention like it maybe has grabbed yours. And it comes from an essay written by Lionel Basney. He died in 1999, but he had been the English professor at Calvin College. And in an editorial, he made this sentence that changed the way I approach Christmas. He said this, The real crime of Christmas is the way we heap pretensions on its simplicity. And I felt appropriately corrected <laughs> because that's what I've been trying to do. He pretensions on the simplicity of the Christmas story. But, you know, it's true. If we're really going to get to the real Christmas story, you've got to scrape off layer after layer of tradition and sentimentality and, and all of these different kinds of things. And I'm not sure there's a better way to focus on the simplicity of Christmas than a single verse of Scripture. And I must confess that because this is probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, I spend a little bit of time before I self-corrected trying to come up with a fancy outline for the simple sermon because we preachers are good at heaping pretensions on simple things. But it's the Christmas story in one verse it is the gospel message in one verse. It's John 3.16. You probably have it at least somewhat memorized. I don't, it's not in your notes, but would you say it with me if you know it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. That's the Christmas story in one verse. That's the gospel in one verse. Let's take it apart. First, he tells us that there is a God. The Bible begins, in the beginning, God. This verse begins for God. We begin with God. Don't rush over that. Don't skip over that in your eagerness to get to only begotten Son. Don't skip over there is a God. This world began when God spoke it into existence. The world depends on God who upholds everything by his powerful word. I am a person with a conscience and a sense of justice and the capacity to think about spiritual things, the capacity to reason, the capacity to love, all because I am created in the image of God. Don't forget there is a God. And this God loves the world. Let that sink in. God loves. Of all the things you say about God, and there's so much to say about God, but of all the things you say about God, make sure you say He loves. In fact, John, who quotes Jesus in John 3.16, also said in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. That's the story of Christmas. God is love. It has been my church experience, and maybe your church experience too, that sometimes people who call themselves Christians think it's wrong to tell people that God loves them. I actually had a board member of a former church I pastored who told me one time, I want people to feel bad when they leave church. Not me. I want you to feel loved when you leave this church. Loved by us, but much more than that, loved by God. He loves you. You don't need to come to church to be beaten up. Life beats you up enough all week long, right? We need to come to church to be reminded, God loves me. He's on my side. He will forgive me. He loves me. Who does he love? Us. We're the world. That's us, you and me, with all of our failings, with all of our faults, with all of our humanness, with all of our mess-ups and foul-ups. He loves us. A couple of years ago, this post went viral on Facebook. Uh, a young adult named Cassie Lynch posted this. And... It went viral. It may have shown up in one of your social media feeds at some point. She wrote it in 2020. The year my dad, who was a pastor at the time, was caught in his addiction, the church leadership asked him and my mom to not attend the Christmas Eve service. The investigation was ongoing, and they wanted him to step back while it happened. What they didn't count on, I don't think, was for me to show up at the service. I have a deep commitment to tradition, 
So when my parents said they weren't going to the service, I resolved to go by myself. Under the weight of uncertainty and the fear of what I had suspected might just be a true accusation, I showed up to the candlelight service. Family was there to celebrate. It was Christmas after all. I found my usual spot near the front, and as the first carols rang out, my tears began to fall. I felt like an imposter. I was a cloud of grief and darkness amidst a cheerful celebration. I felt guilty for dampening the time of rejoicing. As I sat, I find myself talking to Jesus. <laughs> I'm ruining your party, I told him. It was his response in that moment that changed Christmas for me forever. He said, Cassie, I came to that manger as a baby, not for those in celebration, but for those in mourning. I came for you in this moment right here. And she writes, for the first time in my relatively easy life, I was tasting heartache. And it was there that Jesus showed me the heart of Christmas. Jesus stepped down to pursue the broken and the hurting and the lost. If this year, she says, broke you down, isolated you, left you grieving or fearful or hurt, I want you to know you don't have to muster up cheer. You don't have to feel like a downer in the midst of celebration. You can sit at the feet of a Savior who came for you where you are right now. That's how Emmanuel works. It's God with us in the dirt, giving us hope in the face of despair. And then she quotes Isaiah 9 2. Those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who live in spaces of the deepest darkness, a light has dawned. Yeah, God loved the world. Or as Paul said in Romans 5, God demonstrated his love toward us. Not that when we were perfect, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Don't forget the Christmas story is God loves us. You and me in the midst of all of the brokenness and discouragement and despair God loves. Jesus himself said, I've not come to call the healthy. I've come to call sinners to repentance. There is a God. He loves the world. He gave his son. Yes, God has a son. What the King James English calls the only begotten son. And his name is Jesus. This is one of the things that separates Christianity from all of the other religions of the world. We believe God had one and only one, capital S-O-N, only son. Think about that also as you celebrate Christmas. John said the word, another name for Christ, became flesh and lived among us. Jesus is the baby in a manger, but he's much more than that. He's God's son. He is 100% man. He is also 100% God. 
Our brains can't comprehend that. Our brains were not created to comprehend that. But that's who Jesus is. He's not half man, half God. He was 100% God. He's 100% man. And he loved us so much that he left heaven. He didn't have to come. He chose to come. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He was rich. He lived in heaven. He was God's son. All of the, what the theologians call, all of the prerogatives of deity. He's God. And he leaves it all to come to this world. The sun that he said, let there be light, and there was light, wakes him up in the morning. The darkness that he separated from the day puts him to sleep at night. Jesus is God as he really is with us as we really are. And he's born in a stable, not nearly as pretty as any of the nativity scenes that you have around your house. And the question must be asked that if God could commandeer a star to lead the wise men, why did he not commandeer better birthing accommodations for his son? And I think he did it for this very reason that his son is not sheltered from the harsh realities of real life. He's not living in the make-believe world of the rich. He's living in the blue-collar boldness of life. YouTube can be a frustrating thing. It can be a fascinating thing. And this season... Don has been watching some YouTube renovation shows and decoration shows about Christmas. You know, people come with me and watch me decorate my house. Because she gets ideas, and hers are always better than what theirs are, in my opinion. But one of them looked particularly promising. We should have known better because it was a house in the Cotswolds. And, well, that looks interesting, and we put it on, and Donna started watching it, and the lady talked about her team of florists and decorators who were coming over to the house. No, can't identify with that. But then when you find one that talks about, I found this at Hobby Lobby, 50% off. I found this at Costco. And if you found one that said, and at Dollar Tree, then you know these are my people. <laughs> Jesus came born in a manger so that we'll know we're his people. He's one of us. He had no aristocratic advantage. He had real friends. He grew up in a carpenter shop. And so when believers are told, pour out your heart to him, we can do it because we know he understands and whatever you're experiencing this Christmas season that you think nobody understands, whatever has you within an inch of your breaking point, stop by a nativity scene and look at the manger. Jesus understands. He's one of us. 
And one of my favorite verses, I'm throwing in some extra verses today because some of these verses I try to preach on every Sunday, you know, every Christmas. But Hebrews chapter 4 says he was touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. Now to me, that's more than just being touched by my weakness. He's touched by my feelings of my weakness. He knows the feelings of failing health. He knows the feelings of the growing pressures of life. He knows the feeling of being in what you look like to be a no-win situation. He knows the feeling of the unrelenting burdens you carry. He's touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. Several years ago, I was talking to one of our residents, and he was battling dementia and he was in the middle of a conversation and just absolutely lost his train of thought. And he looked at me and he said, Ken, I wish I could get my brain to work. That's feeling of weakness. Jesus knows the feelings of our weaknesses. But, but why the big deal about Christmas? Why the big deal about Jesus coming? Because... By believing this, and only by believing this, we can have everlasting life. As sinners, that is, we did things that were opposite of what God wanted us to do, and all of us have done that, that separates us from God. And the only way that we can be forgiven of those sins, if there's someone who has no sin, to pay the price for us. And so Jesus came. The perfect son of God lived as a man on this earth, tempted every way that we are, but yet he never sinned. And because what we needed was somebody to take care of the sin problem, God sent a savior. If we'd have needed a product, he'd have sent a salesman. You know, if we'd have needed therapy, he'd have sent a therapist. There's nothing wrong with therapy. But the real problem that we face is a sin problem. And we need a savior and the angel said to joseph you'll call his name jesus he'll save his people from their sins the angel said to the shepherds you'll find today is born a savior if we believe this if we accept it for ourselves we can have everlasting life several christmases ago a little girl was hospitalized at the hospital at Vanderbilt. She came from a very wealthy family, a very well-known well family in the social circles there. They didn't have much time to spend at the hospital with her, but they always brought her expensive gifts. And especially the mother, who was very well-known in, in society, would bring her some new expensive gift every time she came to visit. Never stayed very long because she always had to go somewhere else. And one day it was reported that the little girl was feeling particularly bad. And mom comes, breezes in, gives her a fancy gift, gets ready to go. The little girl says, don't go, mommy. And she says, I've got to go, but when I come back, I'll bring you, you know, whatever. And the little girl's response was, but mommy, I want you. And I think that sums up the human condition. Some people attribute it to St. Augustine. Some people attribute it to Pascal. 
But somebody at some point said, and this is a paraphrase, that there is a God-shaped hole in every person that can only be filled by Christ. Because we are created in the image of God. Now we try all kinds of things to fill that hole. We try to do good, <laughs> ends up usually being a losing battle. We climb the ladder of success and then somebody yanks the ladder out from under us. We try to numb the pain in various ways, but the pain always manages to come back, doesn't it? We try different philosophies and religions that advertise themselves to be the way to peace or the way to God. But deep in our soul, it seems, and I, and I really think at this time of the year, and I really wonder if at a very deep subconscious level, a lot of the festivities and partying and gift giving and all that is our spirit saying, God, I need you. I'm looking for you. I'm trying to find something to fill this emptiness. And the answer is Jesus, who came as that babe in a, Beth in a manger, the only human being ever born with a specific purpose to die for someone else. He came. He lived that perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose from the dead. He has ascended back to heaven. He's preparing a place for us. And one of these days, he's going to come back. And that'll be a wonderful time. But we celebrate Christmas because God loved us in our mess. But he won't leave us in our mess. We can invite him in. And he will help us. He will change us from the inside out. He will make us what in Bible terms is called a new creature, a new creation. He will make us new. And I suggest to you that the best Christmas gift you can give to yourself is by praying a prayer, something like, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've done wrong. And I know Jesus came to forgive my sins. So please forgive me. I accept you as my savior, as my forgiver. It really is that simple. Again, we preachers heap a lot of pretensions on it, but it really is that simple. A prayer prayed in faith. God, please forgive me. Come into my life. Make me a new person. And he'll do it. I want to close today with a song called The Christmas Hallelujah. And uh, yes, the video has the wise men at the manger, and that's okay. Just the words are correct. But it, I think it just really sums up the Christmas story in a song. It's five minutes long. There'll be a link to it in the comment description section uh, as you follow along on, on social media. It's called The Christmas Hallelujah. Now may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine on you, and may you experience his Christmas joy and peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here today. Merry Christmas.